turn to the book of Ruth, the Old Testament to the book of Ruth. And while you're turning there, I was reminded of what I kicked over here a moment ago. Uh, last uh, Tuesday night, we had our pumpkin fellowship. It was our second annual pumpkin fellowship. And everybody brought a pumpkin dish. And I don't know how many dishes there were. Do you have a number this time? Uh, how many? There were, there were just t- dozens of pumpkin dishes, desserts, even some savory ones. And I was supposed to announce the winner on, uh, on Tuesday night during our Thanksgiving service, but I forgot to do that. And I have a handy note here right in front of me telling me uh, that I needed to do that. And so the winner, I was kind of surprised. Don't be insulted, but I was kind of surprised. Our winner this year was a man uh, made the caramel pumpkin roll. Brother Micah uh, had the winning recipe. So Brother Micah, you come up here uh, this morning. I present you with the golden pumpkin that you can take and put up on your mantle at your house with all your other trophies that I'm sure you got there. And uh, hey, that's one worth winning, amen. Had a guy bring it home. Maybe we can keep this thing going next year. So man, get out your favorite pumpkin recipe. Ruth chapter one. If you're there, let's go ahead and stand. Glad to have some Brother Zach's family here this morning. Where are you guys at? I missed you somewhere. They're in here. Brother Zach, you point them out back there in the back. Glad to have them here with us this morning all the way from Missouri visiting with us. And they sat in the back once they saw the coat Brother Zach was wearing. They they were going to sit up front, but they decided, nope, not this morning. Glad to have you guys here with us. Hope you feel welcome here at Central. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to skip around a little bit for the sake of time. Uh, By the way, did you notice in the earlier service, I hit the time. I finished by 1030. We don't have a time to hit now, so we can just go as long as we want. Ruth 1, 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. That's very important. We'll come back to that here in just a minute. That there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died, as both of them. And the women, and the women was left of her two sons and her husband, woman, I'm sorry. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest in each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. For the sake of time, we're going to skip down to the conversation Naomi has with them about how they need to go back. There are no more sons for them to marry. The Bible says in verse 14, they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left, speaking Unto her. Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, even as we read just now, how my heart was stirred at the great, wonderful truths that you've preserved for us. Lord, what a beautiful picture we're going to see here today that you've preserved for us to learn from and to glean from. And I pray you'd help us to do that today. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of those that are saved. Challenge us this morning through your spirit. And for those that are lost, Father, I pray you'd make that known to them. Lord, I don't know that we have very much longer before you return. And I pray that, Lord, if anyone doesn't know for sure that heaven's their home, they come down and be saved today before it's too late. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love the book of Ruth. Uh, It's not a book that I preach out of or have preached out of a lot. 
Uh, but boy, what a beautiful story as we read here this account of Ruth and Naomi unfold. Uh, what's interesting when you read the book of Ruth, you see the timeline here. It's very crucial to see where this book is sandwiched in between the Word of God and where it is sandwiched in events of history. What Ruth simply is, it's a ray of hope in a dark hour of despair. If you notice verse number one, the Bible says it was during the time of the judges. Uh, you recall that's when every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a very dark, immoral time. The Bible goes, also goes on to say there was a famine in the land in verse number one. And what's amazing is the story of Ruth really comes into full bloom in the light of a backdrop that you would never have figured that to happen. Uh, this beautiful story that uh, if the people at Hallmark could get a hold of it, I know they probably don't read their Bible over there, but if they did, they would find a wonderful script already written for them uh, of a great movie. But this is a true story that our God gave us and preserved for us to read, I believe, in times just like these. I mean, you read verse 1 and you see the times she was living in are very similar to times we're living in. They're tough times, times of famine, uh, times of discouragement, times of, uh, of just detrimental circumstances all around us. And yet God allows the story of Ruth to be told during the midst of this time. Now, here's what's wonderful about that. As I was reading it throughout this week, thinking about how God is wanting us to see that in spite of the circumstances, he can still work. That in spite of a backdrop of famine and discouragement, I mean, Ruth is going to have the death of her husband and her, uh, or Naomi, the death of her husband and her two sons. I mean, there's so much heartache, and yet in the midst of this, we see God working. Now, that ought to encourage you today. Why? Because we're living in times much like that. Uh, times of distress, times of pain and grief, times of discouragement, times of confusion, where we don't know what's going on in our world. And I think our God wants us to know that just like Ruth, God can still work in the midst of those circumstances. Aren't you glad? Listen, my success as a child of God and fulfilling the will of God in my life is not dependent upon my circumstances. Now, folks, you need to get that this morning. All right? It's easy to buy off on the idea that God is just as limited as we are. Uh, sometimes we begin thinking, well, the world's in a bad place. Times are tough. Politics are bad. I mean, the divided country. I saw the U.S. men's soccer coach at the World Cup wore a shirt, and rather than saying United States, it just said states on it. Because we're not united, and so I guess that's why he wore that. I mean, on a grand stage to just kind of disrespect our country and so many things that we could focus on that are negative. And yet I believe the story of Ruth is kind of a barometer for us, that our God wants us to see that in spite of what we're going through, in spite of where we're living, that God can still write a beautiful story. And I think we see that all throughout Scripture. I think we can see the God that we serve is very versatile. Can't you? I was reading the life of Christ and reading about the events that, uh, that, that he worked in in his life. I found where Christ worked in the middle of a wedding. Did you see that? Remember, there was a tough time where uh, the water was turned into, the, into wine at Cana. And there's Christ in the middle of a wedding. Not necessarily the most ideal place, but hey, he worked in the middle of that. Uh, I see when Peter and Jesus were out there walking on the water. Uh, and Peter began to sink. And Jesus pulled him up out of the water. Christ worked in the middle of a storm. You know one of Christ's greatest works that he ever did was in the middle of a tomb. Think about that. It doesn't matter the circumstance. I mean, there with Lazarus, one of the greatest works that, uh, that Christ ever did was in the middle of a cemetery. What does that tell us? It doesn't matter what you're going through the middle of this morning. God can still work. God can still write a story. God can still make a testimony out of your test. Amen? Sometimes I forget. I think we forget how you spell testimony. Man, we all want a testimony. Boy, look what God did in my life. Hey, that's great. Everybody ought to want a good testimony. But sometimes you got to go through the test before you get the emoni. Amen. you got to have the test before you get, hey, I don't know what an emoni is. I don't think the world looks at an emoni. Man, that guy's got a great emoni. No, I don't know. It sounds like a cold. Maybe something you need a shot for. I don't know, you know. Maybe you can get a booster for an emoni. I don't know. But I know what a testimony is. And I know oftentimes the testimonies in my life of God working and God making a beautiful story in the midst of trial, it came out of a test first. We see that in this case with Ruth. Oh my goodness, God is working in her life and Naomi's life in the midst of what they're going through. It reminds me of Ephesians 3.20. Boy, it was my theme verse when we were building our church there in Louisiana. 
Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Aren't you, I love the, just the first part of that. Now unto him that is able. Now unto him that is able. And it goes on to say what he's able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I mean, that's the God that we're serving here. Hey, why are we down and out? Why are we down and out? Well, it's a famine and bad. Hey, but God's still God, all right? He is still able and to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all. Now, you think about that. I don't know about you, but I have a wonderful, wonderful imagination. I think about all the kind of things I wish God would do. Well, we're in the last days, brother. Hey, keep your pessimism to yourself. I know we're in the last days, but the last days don't change who God is. As a matter of fact, listen, I believe God wants to work overtime in those who will yield themselves to be used of God. It says he does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. I don't know about you, but I can think about a lot. I'm thinking about tonight. All the folks are going to be on our property. How many people, listen, that need to get saved tonight? And you're thinking, well, they're coming to see the Coke truck that's going to be out here and, and have the snow going and all of those things. Hey, look, if they're here, they have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And I want, listen, I want everybody that's here to hear the gospel. Maybe they'll get saved. Hey, maybe some of our church members will get saved. Amen? I've seen that happen before too. Those are things I think about. And the Bible says that my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. Can I tell you, God has not changed. We may be living in verse number one of chapter number one, but the God of chapter number one is still on the job, and God still wants to work. Now, here's the neat thing. God works through people. This is the story of Ruth. It's the story of someone who allowed God to work in and through their life, and he preserved the story, the account of Ruth for us this morning. God says, I want you to see what I was doing in this woman's life. Can I tell you this morning, I believe God still wants to work. I believe God still can work, and I believe God still will work, but God works through people specifically. God desires to work through faithful people. Now, one of the things you're going to see about Ruth this morning, this is the entire message the Lord's given us to preach this morning. It really revolves around. The story of Ruth revolves around her desire to be faithful. She's going to be faithful. What you're going to see God do in the life of Ruth is a direct reflection of her desire to be faithful. Now, hear me out this morning. I believe with all of my heart what God desires to do until the day that Christ returns, it hinges on the faithfulness of his people. I believe this morning if we want to see God work and we want to see God write a beautiful story in the midst of tragedy and sorrow, I believe that God is going to write that story through people who figure out how to be faithful. Read throughout the word of God how many people God used Think about your heroes, Daniel. Why did God use Daniel? Because he was good looking? No, he may have been, but I don't think that's why God used him. I believe God used him because he was faithful. Why did God use David? Because he was faithful. Why did he quit using Saul and pick David? Because Saul was unfaithful. I believe this morning that God desires to write a story, even in 2022, when the world just seems going downhill fast. I believe God desires to write a story through you and I, but you and I have got to figure out how to be faithful. I believe this is one of the biggest places we stub our toe as children of God. We can't figure out how to be faithful. You say, well, I come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That's not what I'm talking about. Coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night is evidence of you being faithful to God, all right? That's not the end of being faithful to God. Uh, somebody said one time that God's measuring stick is not how big, how great we are. It's how faithful we are. How faithful we are. Remember the parable of the talents? I'll give you the, I'll give you the message here in just a minute, okay? We don't have a time period, all right? I hit my first time period. I don't have to hit the second one because we don't have one. We don't have a night service. I feel like I can just go with this thing for a little while. Amen? I'm sure we've got some uh, candy canes we can pass out to nourish you, help get you through this. The parable of the talents. you remember that one? I said this before, but sometimes you had to repeat it so it'll sink in a little deeper. Remember what he said? He didn't say, well done, you got more than the other guy. Well done, you got more talents than him. 
He says, well done, thou good and faithful. What was the measuring stick? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Why did he cast the one uh, into outer darkness? It wasn't because he didn't make as much as the other guy. It was because he wasn't faithful. And if, listen, if we're going to please God and God's going to work through us in 2022, in spite of the backdrop of the world, we got to figure out this thing of being faithful. And against all odds, you're going to see this morning in the story of Ruth, she figured out how to do it. Ruth figured out how to be faithful, and God in his word preserved for us exactly how to do that. And so this morning, we're going to follow her example, and we're going to follow the footsteps of the faithful. That's the message this morning, the footsteps of the faithful, and we're going to follow Ruth on this journey of being faithful so that we can be used of God. I don't know about you, can I tell you, that's my heart's desire. That's my heart. When I first started preaching as a teenage guy, uh, you know, you think about, well, I, I want to preach at this church and preach at this conference and maybe get a sermon published somewhere. I mean, look, even preachers are carnal, all right? Whether the other ones will admit it or not, they are too, okay? You have these carnal desires. You want to climb that ladder and things along, so on and so forth. And after a while, you get that carnality out of the side and you, you kind of get down to a little bit more spiritual you that you try to be. And in the end, I'd be honest with you, my heart's desire, I just want to be faithful, Big numbers, small numbers, accolades, or booze. I just want to be faithful. I just want to be faithful. When the trump of God sounds, look, I know the twinkling of an eye is really fast, okay? Uh, I don't know how much time that is, but I don't, know, I don't know how much you can think about in the twinkling of an eye. But I'll promise you, when the trump of God sounds, the only thing that's going to be on my mind, number one, I know that I'm saved. Number two, was I faithful? Was I faithful? Was I faithful when the crowds were low? Was I faithful when the crowds were high? Was I faithful when times were good? Was I faithful when times were bad? Doesn't matter about circumstances. I want to be faithful. By the way, you do too. You do too. You want to be found faithful. And this morning we're going to follow these footsteps of someone who was. And uh, we're going to see exactly how we can do that. Let's look down together, if you will. I read you the back story there, verse 1 down through about verse number 10. Naomi's trying to get Ruth to leave and uh, or put aside. She's going to go back. But look down, if you will, to verse number 14. The Bible says, and they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. So Orpah's getting ready to go back. Now I want you to watch the second part of verse 14. But Ruth clave unto her. But Ruth clave unto her. You know, they say the journey of a, a thousand miles begins with a single step. And that first step of faithfulness is a very, very important one. What she's about to do in verse 14, that first step of faithfulness is going to set the course of the will of God for Ruth's life. What was that first step? Number one, I want you to know the decision of the faithful. Notice what the decision was. When Orpah kissed her and went back, the Bible says, but Ruth clave unto her. You see, the first step of being faithful is the step to stick around. She decided that she was going to stick around. Can I tell you this morning, I believe the truth of this matter is this morning. If we will trace our spiritual successes and our spiritual failures back, you will find that our successes and our failures hinged on the fact of whether or not we decided that we were going to be faithful. A decision was made. Ruth came to this place. Here's Orpah. Here's Naomi. Naomi says, y'all go back. I'll move on ahead by myself. Orpah says, okay, I'm going to go back. The Bible says that Ruth claved to her. I mean, that one decision is about to alter the course of her life. We're going to see at the end of the message this morning, not only is it going to alter the course of her life, oh my goodness, it's going to open up an opportunity for her that God would use her in a way that she never imagined. But you know what it went back to? A decision to be faithful. Can I tell you many times, listen, that I have succeeded in the will of God for my life. It didn't boil down to talent. It didn't boil down to intelligence. It sure didn't boil down to good looks. Can I tell you what it boiled down to? It boiled down to a decision. Hey, I'm going to cleave to this. I'm going to be faithful to this. And no matter what comes my way, I'm going to stick to it. By the way, isn't that how you lose weight? I wouldn't know. I'm asking you. <laughs> Amen. Thanksgiving was rough, rough. 
carrying Tums right in my pockets for three days now. How do you lose weight? You got to stick to it. You got to make a decision to pass Krispy Kreme by. And oh, when the devil tries to tempt you. You know, the Bible says, I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I didn't set it there. It was there by itself. And trouble comes your way. You have a decision to make. You know what the decision is? The decision is to be faithful. That's what, am I going to stick with my diet or not? Hey, isn't that how you save money to buy a house? You just stick to it. I'm going to pass up Taco Bell. I don't care if they have a dollar menu. I don't care if they have the chalupas back. Hey, it doesn't matter. I'm going to pass it up. I'm going to stick with the plan. Why? Because I'd rather have a house one day uh, than nacho fries. <laughs> Amen? you got to stick to it. At some point in your spiritual life, if you're going to fulfill the will of God for your life, if you're going to have your story, the story of Jeremiah, the story of Braden, the story of Leslie. Hey, don't you want to have a story that you look back and there's no doubt God wrote it? Don't you want that? I mean, look, some of you have your life scripted out, I mean, down to the, to the very detail of what you're going to do with it. Can I promise you, your script is nothing compared to God's. It's nothing. Hey, let God write your story. But the only way you're going to see what God's going to do is for you to decide you're going to be faithful. I'm going to stick to it. Verse 14, but Ruth clave. Do you know why God used Daniel and we know about Daniel and we look at Daniel as a hero? You go back to Daniel chapter 1. The Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart. He decided. Daniel would be later offered the king's wine and the king's meat. But Daniel would say no. Like, wow, that's willpower. Oh, no, no, no. You see, when Daniel decided to be faithful, that question was already answered. You see? You know, you'd help yourself out a whole lot if you just decided you were going to be faithful. A lot of questions would be answered for themselves. It would. You know, I got married July the 9th, 2005. Haven't ever forgot it. Amen? Married the love of my life. And on that day, I made a promise to keep myself only unto her. And she made that promise to me. Do you know what that promise was that we made there before the altar, before the Lord? We made a promise to be faithful. Now, let's just say hypothetically speaking, okay? A woman is out of her mind, is not very good in her sight, in her vision, and she decides, you know what, I'm going to come up and try to lure him away from Miss Leslie. Number one, she's taking her life into her own hands, okay? My wife grew up around all boys. She's dangerous, all right? She had to learn how to survive around a brother and all boy cousins for 18 years. I, I found that out the hard way, okay? I have to remind her often, easy, you know, take it easy on me. But number two, can I tell you, you say, well, you got to decide whether or not you're going to commit adultery or not. No, 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 no. It's not a question of whether I commit adultery or not. It's a question of whether I'm going to be faithful or not. That's the question. That's the question. You go ahead and decide you're going to be faithful, adultery is answered. It's already answered. You go ahead and decide you're going to be faithful. Lust is already answered. You see, you make that decision, the other ones fall in place. That's why Daniel says, look, it's not really a question of whether I'm going to eat that meat or drink that wine. That question was answered long ago in chapter 1 when I decided I'm going to purpose in my heart not to defile myself. He decided he was going to be faithful. I think about Abraham. Well, Abraham up there on Mount Moriah getting ready to sacrifice his son. One day I want to ask him, when we get to heaven, Abraham... How did you do that? How did you do that? How did you look into the eyes of your, your little boy going up the mountain? I mean, I mean, I have a daughter, and sometimes she'll look me in the eyes, and I have to turn away. It's like Medusa, you know. She's putting a spell on me. Let's go to Sonic. I mean, no, no. Shake it off. Shake it off. How did you look in your eyes of your son, Abraham? You must have had some willpower. No, it had nothing to do with willpower. It had to do with the fact that Abraham made up his mind he was going to be faithful. And he remained faithful to God. Now, can I tell you, a lot of us think we're accidentally going to be faithful to God. It's not happening. It's not happening. At some point in your life, you got to do what verse 14 says. But Ruth clave unto her. She made up her mind. She made up her mind. I believe the reason we fail so often in our faithfulness is simply because we never decided. We never decided we're going to be faithful. I'm going to stick this thing out. I'm going to be faithful. We live in such a flippant world. Oh, my goodness. We are so shallow. I see people coming and going in churches, not just ours, churches all over the country, over such minuscule, well, you know, 
that person there and he said that and they look this way and they're for this team and that team and uh, you preach too long and you holler too much or you don't holler enough or I sit on the front row and you spit. Thank the Lord for these folks here. They don't mind if I spit on them. They're just, they're faithful, man. That's what I call faithful. They get spit on every service and they're right there. Amen. Brother Clark's going to move his way over. He's working his way toward faithfulness. He's three out now, but he's going to get his way there one day. People just, I mean, coming and going for just such dumb reasons. Why don't you make your mind up you're going to be faithful? Hey, this is where God has me. I'm going to be faithful where God has me. Through thick and thin, good or bad, I'm just going to be faithful. And see, once you decide you're going to be faithful, then hey, all the other questions about getting offended, your feelings hurt, and get mad, those are already answered for you. I'm going to be faithful. Hey, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you don't treat your marriage the way you treat church? A lot of us wouldn't be married. Well, I'm just going to leave if I get mad. Yeah, you're going to be married about 15 minutes. I won't tell the story. I had my wife crying at our reception. I mean, not our reception, our, uh, our rehearsal dinner. I thought her uncle was going to kill me. We had a slight disagreement the night before our wedding. And we're sitting there at the table, and we're talking, and then she starts crying. I'm thinking, oh, great. I was in enemy territory. This was her church. Her uncle comes and sits beside her. Her uncle's about 6'3", you know, 220. The 220 was up here at the time. It settled down a little bit, but it was up here at the time. He walks over and sits beside Lizard and he goes, I hope he's not watching on live stream. I am in trouble. He'll never take me elk hunting again. He goes, is everything all right? I knew what that meant. You want us to hurt him? Remember all boys in the family. I thought I was done. I thought I was hurt. Can I tell you, look, you ought to treat church the same way. Hey, through thick or thin, good or bad, offended or not, I'm going to be faithful. Why? Because if that's God's will for my life, I want to get to the end of the story. Too many of us, we give in and we give up too easily. You know why? You kept your options open. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe I will go, maybe, maybe I won't, won't go. John Wesley said this once, I love this quote, give me a hundred men who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I will shake the whole world for Christ. Amen. Give me a hundred men who hate sin and love God, I'll shake the whole world for, what does that mean? That means, hey, they're going to stick with it. We love God, that's our number one reason we hate sin, and we're going to stay in the battle. This past week, I, I love reading history. I love reading about battles. I've been reading through some of the, uh, I have some books on Churchill I've been reading through lately and reading about uh, World War I, World War II, a lot of different uh, war things. And one of the stories that I read recently happened in 1944, December, when the German army launched that offensive to try to break through and divide uh, the Allied forces. We know it's the Battle of the Bulge. Boy, you go back and you look at the map and you can tell, I mean, they were just about done. They just about had this thing done with, going to divide it. And yet the allies were the ones who walked away with the victory. One of the historians that I read about just this week said this about that victory. No one of these little road junction stands could have had profound effect on the German drive. But hundreds of them, impromptu little battles at nameless bridges and unknown crossroads, had an effect of slowing enormously the German impetus. These little diehard one-man stands alone in the snow and fog without communications would prove enormously effective out of all the proportion to their size. You know what they're saying? There were some men camped out at a little bridge. There were some men camped out at a little country road. They may not have been at the forefront of the battle, but they said, this is my bridge. This is my road. This is my front. And hey, I know the German machine is moving this way. And I know we're outnumbered. But I'm going to be faithful to my post. And they were faithful to that bridge. And faithful to that road. And they turned back the mighty army of the Germans. Can I tell you, you look at Satan today and he's moving across America. Kind of having another battle of the bulge. Can I tell you what's going to turn it back? Some moms and dads deciding we're going to stand our ground and be faithful. This is my bridge, this is my road, this is my family, this is my church. I don't care how hot the battle gets, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to be faithful. I've made up my mind, I've decided to follow Jesus, I want to see the end of the story, and I'm going to stick this thing out. Why don't you decide this morning, hey, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to cleave to the will of God for my life. Is that not what Gideon did? Boy, I, lo I love Gideon. I love the story of Gideon. I can't wait to meet him when we get to heaven. And, uh, well, maybe get his autograph. I don't know. Judges chapter 7, the Bible says this, as those 300 men surrounded the enemy, 300 facing an enormous foe. 
The Bible says this, I love these words, and they stood every man in his place. They stood every man in his place. But we're outnumbered, doesn't matter, be faithful. But they're more than we are, doesn't matter, be faithful. They made up their mind, and oh, did God write a story. He gave them victory through trumpets and lanterns and clay pots. You're like, man, what a story. God wrote it, but God used faithful people to accomplish it. You know what I wonder, as a pastor of our church, I wonder what the story is for Central. What is the story for Central? How does this thing end before the Lord comes back? Was there a revival in Hattiesburg? Was there a revival in South Mississippi? You say, well, you know what, we're just, you know, we're just country folk and whatnot. Doesn't matter who we are. All that matters is who he is. But God works through faithful people. And you've got to make up your mind. You're going to do what she did in verse 14. But Ruth clave unto her. Someone said once, be like a postage stamp. Stick to one thing until you get there. Amen? Be a postage stamp. Number two, let's see the second step. Verse 15. The Bible says, and she said, this is Naomi speaking, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people, and unto her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. Now, folks, this is an important one right here. Ruth's taking the first step, definitely not the last step. You know, I love the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I hope you can sing that with a pure heart. But the decision's not the end of it. Because you notice right after verse 14, here comes the second step that she's going to have to overcome. Notice number two, the distraction of the faithful. There's a distraction. Can I assure you of one thing this morning? Once you make the decision to be faithful, prepare for the distraction of the faithful. Here comes the reason not to. What's the reason not to? Well, it says, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back. Unto her people, unto her gods, return thou after thy sister-in-law. There's one thing I'm sure of from the Garden of Eden all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Satan specializes in distractions. How many stories in this book would be different had there not been a distraction? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. What would be different? What would be different? Well, Cain would still be alive and Abel would still be alive and sin wouldn't be running rampant. Now, you and I may have messed up and let it in even if they didn't, but things would be different. What happened? Eve got distracted from the will of God. What was the will of God? Hey, you can have all this. Leave that alone. She got distracted. The Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, it was impossible for Christ to sin, but oh, what a tragedy would have taken place if he had gotten distracted. As he's there and as he, as he sweat as drops of blood, imagine the catastrophe that would be for all eternity for all of us. But thank God he didn't get distracted. I, on a weekly basis, deal with the outcome of distractions. People who once wanted the will of God for their life, they wanted the story that was written for their life. And somewhere along the line of they got distracted. Somewhere something turned their eyes away from what God wanted Maybe it was to what they wanted. Matthew chapter 4, we read about Christ. The Bible says he was led up of the spirit in the, in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was afterward a hungered. The tempter came and said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. What was Satan trying to do? He was trying to distract him. Distract him. Get your eyes off of what you're doing and what your father sent you to do. We know the story. He tried to tap into pride, which Christ had none. And then he tried to show him the kingdoms of the world. What was he doing? He was trying to distract him. Hey, look at this bread. Doesn't it look good? Hey, look at the kingdoms. Doesn't it look good? Can I tell you, you make the decision to be faithful. Prepare for the distraction of being faithful. It's coming your way. What happened to David and Bathsheba? It was a distraction. What happened to Saul? He got distracted. What happened to Peter walking on the water? He got distracted. What happened to the, the one with the talent? He got distracted. Perhaps the greatest distraction is the one you're going to see in verse 15. Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people. Perhaps the greatest distraction is the distraction of being faithful in spite of others. That's possibly the greatest distraction you're going to face. Naomi says, look, she's gone back. She's returning to her gods. 
She's returning to her people. Why don't you? And oh, what a decision she has to make at that moment. Not to be distracted from her decision of being faithful. I promise you this morning, folks, it would be wonderful if everyone wanted to serve God and if serving God was a popular thing, but it's not. And I can assure you this morning, a distraction is coming to derail your faithfulness. Distractions coming to your home, husband, wife, coming. I promise you it's coming. The devil hates the home. He hates it. It becomes a distraction. A distraction is coming to your life, young person. It's coming. Some of you adults could help out a whole lot. Let them know distractions are coming. You set your eyes on doing the will of God. I want God's will. I want my book. I want my book. I want the story that God wrote about my life and his will and his plan. I want my book and a distraction's coming your way. I don't know what it looks like. It might be money. It could be. It could be a pretty little girl or a halfway decent looking good guy. I'm not going to say a pretty guy, you know. Don't say your son is pretty, okay, especially in 2022. Just don't go down that road. Amen? You've got to decide to stick with God's plan, not be distracted. Don't be distracted. You know, Nehemiah, I preached that in Nehemiah so many times when I was a teenager. Uh, my first preaching Bible in my office is yellow there where I used to preach out of Nehemiah. So I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah knows the will of God for his life. He sets off to rebuild the walls at Jerusalem. And he's rebuilding the walls and he's up there on the wall. And here comes Sanballat and Geshem and Tobiah. And they said, hey, why don't you come down and talk to us? Hey, let's talk this thing over. Let's, let's get all get on the same page. Let's all just come together, all right? Nehemiah said something that I'll never forget. He says, I cannot come down. He said, why should I come down and the work cease? I can't be distracted. God's got a will for my life. We're going to rebuild this wall. And he just stayed faithful. He decided to be faithful. He wasn't distracted from being faithful. And in record time, 52 days, they did it without a crane or a bulldozer. You're like, wow, what a story. God wrote it. God wrote it. And oh, how God wants to write ours this morning. But we've got to learn to get past the distractions a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Bible says, verse 32, You shall observe to do, therefore, as the Lord your God hath commanded you. What is that? That's the will of God. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. I'll promise you, he's giving you every reason to turn. Every reason. I'll give you a reason. The person sitting next to you will give you a reason. But I promise you, God's not going to give you a reason to turn aside from what he's desired for your life. If you're in the early service, I told you last night we were up here setting up something for the, uh, the kids. We were working late. We had to wait until it was dark to, to do a test run of something we're going to do tonight. I want to encourage you to be here. Our building's going to come alive. It's going to be great. We're excited about it and going to have a good time with it. And So we're out here. We've got these lights going in our parking lot. I'm standing out by Highway 49 up on this ladder, and we've got lights. I'm not going to tell you exactly what's going on. We've got lights everywhere. And all of a sudden we hear, boom. And we look, and there's this car had been T-boned out there in the highway. And I, I, I told Brother Braden this morning, I think we, we caused that. I hate that. If that was you, I apologize. But I think what happened was they got distracted. They were going down the highway or up the highway, and they looked back, and they saw what was going up here. And they're thinking, wow, I think an alien mothership is landing on that church. And they probably were turning their phone around and videoing what was going on and T-boned the poor fellow that was headed north on the highway. Man, his airbags went off, and cops came up there. It was a hit and run. The guy kept on going. What happened? Somebody got distracted. It's dangerous when you get distracted. You're going to miss out on the story of the will of God for your life. And oh, can I tell you, in verse 15... I'm sure we've all been there, haven't we, where so many others go back. Look at verse 15. And she said, behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back. Can I tell you, unfortunately, that is reason enough for many to go right along with them. Well, they went back. I'm going to go back with them. I'm all alone. I'm by myself. Being lonely in the will of God is probably one of the greatest distractions you're going to ever face. This morning, I was reading 2 Timothy 4. Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me. He's there in the prison, going to have his head chopped off in not very long. He's all alone. Demas forsook him. Imagine how alone Paul felt by himself. 
There are times you're going to have to stand alone. There are times you're going to have to pursue the will of God alone. doesn't matter who goes back. You decide, I'm not going to be distracted from God's will. I'm going to be faithful. Look at verse 16. So how do we do that? How do we be faithful when everybody goes back? I told a pastor the other day, I said, boy, the road of ministry today, trying to stay true to the word of God, is a road less traveled. It's a road less traveled. It's a lonely road. You ever, you ever wonder why I ask you to smile every once in a while? It can be lonely up here. Trying to preach what God said preach. And when you're not smiling, it gets even more lonely. All right? I'm, I told Brother Jim out in the hallway the other day, I said, when you hear me say something about smiling, I'm asking, help me out a little bit. I'm just trying to help. The road of ministry, listen, whether it's a pastor or a Christian mom or a Christian dad, it's going to be lonely at times, but you have got to resist the alternative of being distracted from the will of God for your life. Why? You want to see how the story ends. We're going to get there in a minute, okay? I promise you the story will end today. I'm not going to keep you hostage. Verse 16, and Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. You say, how do we do that? How do we not be distracted when we serve and sometimes when we serve alone? Well, I think she shows us in verse 16 and 17, it requires the third step in order to be faithful. That's the dedication of the faithful. Look how dedicated she was. She turns around and says, entreat me not. Hey, don't you try to get me to leave. Don't you try to run me off. Hey, I'm going to go where you're going. I'm going to be faithful. Now, what is she doing? She's showing us how to be faithful. You make the decision. Don't be distracted. But then you've got to be determined. You've got to be determined. Now, the most amazing part of verse 16 and 17 is really in verse 17. I want you to notice the price she was willing to pay to be faithful to Naomi. Whether thou diest, will I die? You see, at some point, in order to be committed, you're going to have to pay a price. At some point, to stay faithful. I'm not talking about a Central Baptist church. That's a side effect of being faithful to God, all right? Being in church, wherever God has you at church, listen, that's a side effect of just being faithful to the Lord in general. I'm talking about, listen, if you're going to be faithful and finish faithful, it's going to cost you at some point. Do you know why Orpah went back? Because what she was headed to there was worth more to her than staying with Naomi. Is that not why she went back? She said, you know what, I'd rather go back than, than to pay the price of being by myself and going with you. You think about, we go out and we work all week long, or most of you do. You go out and you work all week long. Why do you do that? Well, maybe you enjoy working. Some people generally enjoy working, but maybe work is hard. Maybe it's tough. Maybe you have a bad boss. Maybe you go out there to work and you have horrible coworkers, and yet you go, you get up every morning, you go. Why do you get up and go? Because Friday it's going to be worth it, Right? Hopefully, it's going to be worth it. You see, you're willing to go and go through all of that. You're determined. You're dedicated. Why? Because it's going to be worth it in the end. Here's what Ruth is showing. Ruth is showing that her being faithful was worth whatever it's going to cost her. She says, it doesn't matter. I'm going to live where you live. I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to die where you die. Ruth's showing us the cost of faithfulness. Do you know what it is? Ultimately, what it costs us to be faithful is verse 17. Where thou diest, will I die. The cost of being faithful to the Lord, it costs us our life. In order to be faithful to the Lord and his will for our life, we have to be willing to give our life. What does the scripture say? The man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? It means, hey, you give up your life. You're going to be faithful to me. It's going to cost you your life. By the way, every invitation, do you know the battle that's going on during every invitation? We're sitting there and we're, we're gripping the front of the chair in front of us or we're sweating down. Do you know what the battle really is all about? Whether or not we're going to be faithful. God says, give it up. We're like, no, but that's mine. God says, die to self. If you want to be faithful, it's going to cost you your life. 
It's going to cost you you. Let him lay down his cross and come after me. Warren Wiersbe said this, self-preservation is the first law of physical life, but self-sacrifice is the first law of the spiritual life. I don't know about you, but I want to live. I like living, okay? I really do. You try to hold me down underwater, I'm not going to go quietly. I'm going to squeal all the way. You might get me, but I want to live. Why? There's something inside of me that wants to live. I enjoy life. As bad as this world is, I enjoy living. I want to live. That's the natural man. We want to survive. We want to live. But the spiritual man says, no, we've got to die spiritually. We've got to die. The problem with the man with one talent, you know what it was? Doing what he knew he needed to do wasn't worth the risk. Is that not what it was? Uh, you know, man, I have this one talent. I'm not going to do anything with it because I'm just worried that, you know, and he's going to come back. He's going to be mad. Oh, yeah, I'm just not willing. You see, it wasn't worth the risk to him. Folks, can I tell you why most of us don't do the will of God? We're not faithful to the will of God. It's just because of the cost where it's not worth the risk to us. At some point, we've got to get to the place where Ruth was in verse 16 and 17. It says, okay, God, I want to be faithful to you. I'm willing to give my life. That's, that's how serious I am. That's how serious I am. I'm going to give up my life, my will, my way. God, I give it to you. Why? Because in the end, all that I want, I want to be faithful. Someone said this, behold the turtle. He makes progress only when he sticks his neck out. Some of you are going to chew on that one for a while. You'll get it on the way home. I can tell some of you are like, behold the turtle, he makes progress only when he sticks his neck out. That's why we don't make progress. We're not going to stick our neck out for the Lord. We're not going to get out of our comfort zone for the Lord. We're not going to go somewhere we don't want to go for the Lord. We're not going to risk anything for the Lord. We're not going to surrender anything for the Lord. And that's why we don't make progress. We never stick our neck out for the Lord. Here was Ruth. I'm going to stick my neck out even if it gets chopped off. Why? I want to be faithful. She was dedicated. She was dedicated. Folks, if we just had some dedicated people to the will of God, enough to be faithful, I believe God would shake this world just like Wesley said. Number three, the dedication of the faithful. It's going to cost us our life. Finally, we'll get to the end of the story. I'm giving you two four-pointers today, man. Y'all have done so good. Turn with me to chapter four. Chapter four. Let's go to the end of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Boy, I miss him. Ruth chapter 4, let's go to the end of the book, the end of the story. The Bible says in verse 13, I can fill in the blanks after service, or you can read it when you get home. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman that his name may be famous in Israel. Now keep reading in verse 15. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. <laughs> now wait a minute, what did she do in chapter 1? She was willing to give up her life. Look what God did. He said, he shall be a restorer of thy life, Naomi, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. The women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. You keep following that family history, you'll find there's some very important characters that are going to be born through that, that bloodline. So what are you getting at here? Well, I want to show you the end of faithfulness, where faithfulness will take us. Decisions led to her direction number four the direction of the faithful oh she became part of God's wonderful plan I mean David she was going to become a part of the bloodline of Christ all because at some point in her life she decided to be faithful I'm going to cleave to you I'm not going to leave I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to have determination. Why? Because I want to go in the direction of God's will for my life. And now we read at the end of her story that she would be Gad Obed. Be in that bloodline, that royal lineage of Christ. Oh, what a direction. But it all began with her deciding to be faithful. 
you're thinking, wow, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were lucky enough to be used of God in a story like that? I promise you luck had nothing to do with it. You ever think Orpah may have sat back and said, man, I missed it. But she made her decision. She was distracted. She wasn't determined. And boy, she missed out on the direction of where God wanted her to go and what God could have done with her. Can I tell you this morning, all that will matter to you one day is that you were faithful. That you were faithful. That when you stand before God, he's, he's not going to say, hey, hey, you had more in your Sunday school class than the next guy. Man, you had perfect attendance at church for 15 years and you even had the pen to prove it. No. Well done, thou good and faithful. That's it. That's God's measuring stick. This morning, if God were to measure you by that measuring stick, listen to me, child of God, would you be found faithful? Faithful. So not really, number one, hey, you need to make a decision. I've decided I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to cleave to the will of God for my life. No, you're not going to run me off. Listen, you're not going to make me mad. I'm going to cleave to the will of God. Why? I want to be faithful. I want to see the direction that God wants to take me in my life. You've got to make a decision. You say, well, I've already done that. Have you gotten distracted? Remember Mary and Martha? What great sin was it? It was her busyness. Martha, Martha. You're encumbered about with much service. She got distracted in her busyness. It may not be some great sin, and yet you're so busy in your life, you're distracted from that closeness with God we talked about this morning. Don't get distracted. Why? Because in the end, it's a direction that matters. Oh, one day, look, one day as a parent, you're going to watch your kid leave the house, and oh, you want them to be faithful. You want to watch that direction that they go on to find what God left them here to do. Right now, you have an opportunity to influence that. By making the decision, by not being distracted, by staying determined. Uh, nothing's, uh, don't try to talk me out of it. I'm going to find God's direction for my life. If that's God's measuring stick this morning, how do you measure up? Are we faithful? You say, well, I, uh, I'm not even sure that I'm saved. Can I tell you one day whether or not you're faithful or not, you're going to stand before God like all the rest of us? And oh, you're going to wish that your name was found written in the Lamb's Book of Life because at one point in place in your time, you, in your lifetime, you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that this morning? Are you saved if you died right now? Are you certain you're going to heaven? Look, all the other stuff will come later. We can talk about that. But if you're not even sure your name's written down, get that nailed down this morning. Why? Because just as the saved are going to be measured up, one day you're going to be measured up as a lost person at the great white throne of judgment. And oh, you can't afford to fall short there. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.